You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. My guest today is Kara Hayes. Her story resonates with me, and there's a good chance it's going to resonate with you too. After college, Kara found herself battling with two identities, her future self that prioritized her values and her past self that continued to distract with bad habits. One day, Kara decided it was time to look forward without looking back, and she made a commitment with herself to accelerate that decision. For the next six months, Kara decided to say no to drinking and dating two areas where she knew a hard stop would give her clarity. On top of that, each month, she'd focus on another area of her life that needed attention. At the time, this commitment didn't have a name, but it became known as Six Months of Me. And this time period fundamentally changed the perception Kara had of herself. I can't wait for you to hear more of her story. We get into a lot of fun details like why Kara started a single girl bucket list, first date tips that I think are genius, and Kara's exploration of being sober curious. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the self-love champion and the original participant of Six Months of Me, Kara Hayes. I've been really excited to have a conversation about relationships, but if you look back on most of my episodes in the last three or four months, it's centered a lot around personal finance and career. That might've been A, because... I was gravitating towards that because I was trying to figure out a few things in my life and those areas were where I was at. But the second part was I was searching for someone to talk about relationships with and I couldn't find the right person. And that's until I stumbled upon you and someone recommended you. I listened to her podcast that you were on and I was like, this is it. And where I struggle with self-love is sometimes I feel like the people that are sharing it hadn't really gone through a lot of the experiences. But you have a lot of lived experiences and then you took some time to think about those lived experiences. So let's start this conversation out with your relationship with yourself in high school and college. Yeah, well, thank you for saying all of that. It it means a lot and it has me just reflecting back on you're totally right. Every time I I looked at women to show me what it meant to love themselves, it was like they never had a problem of loving themselves, right? It's like you look like a model. Like you've always been able to love yourself. Society told you you were worth being loved. And I never had that growing up. And, you know, I, I came from a wonderful family, but from eighth grade on, I, I had an uphill battle with my self-esteem and my self-worth. So, in eighth grade, I had a major falling out with my friends. I was I was exiled from this entire friend group for a little, you know, girl fight that that meant nothing. But I literally graduated eighth grade with no one. I talked about it in therapy with my therapist, and I had never told her about that thing. And she was like, Kara, like, that's traumatic. When you're that age, that is trauma. And as I unpacked it, I really realized that from that point on, being ostracized at such a young age is it is traumatizing and it changed me fundamentally as a person. So I never wanted to feel that way again. I never wanted to be abandoned again. So I became the ultimate people pleaser. I would do whatever it took for someone to like me. And in that process, I lost myself. Any semblance of identity I had was gone in an instant. And so I went into high school kind of like a blank slate. And I'm really lucky. I joined the swim team and I made some incredible friends through that, but I still really struggled with my self-worth. And by the time I was 16, I was starting treatment for an eating disorder. I was put on anti-anxiety and and depression pills. I was seeing psychiatrists and nutritionists and, and just all the things because I hated myself. I did not like who I was, my body, my mind, anything. It's funny because I don't think I came off that way. Like I was always a very outgoing person and I didn't look bad. 
And that was the other part was I had just terrible body dysmorphia. I, I thought I looked like, I remember calling myself an ogre. And I look back and I was like, oh my God, I looked, I was so thin. I was so fit. I had like 8% body fat. They tested me. I was like that of a male athlete because I was swimming six hours a day, but I just, my self-worth was on the ground. And so I, I started dating, right? I was dating people, you know, well above my age. I was doing things I didn't really want to do, but I didn't know how to say no. That was never, never taught to me. And my self-worth was really tied to relationships because if someone liked me, if a guy liked me, say no more. Like I felt like I had an obligation to be with them because I didn't even love me. So like if there was a stranger out there who loved me, like I should probably stay with him forever which then I fell into some not so healthy relationships and I didn't know how to get out of them. And that continued through college where, you know, I was sleeping with way too many people, like more, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but like more than I could count. And if I look back, I think I was shielding that part of my life with like a super sex positive, like, you know, girls should be able to do whatever they want. But if I really look back, it wasn't about me being, you know, sexually free. It was me giving it up in the hopes that they would like me because I was really hoping that if if I were to just have sex with them, then like one of them would want to date me and none of them ever did. So I never had a relationship in college. And it took until I got out of college, got into a couple relationships right out of college One was pretty, I would say, I know it was mentally abusive. He was a grade A textbook gaslighter. And then I went into another relationship that wasn't unhealthy, but I knew he wasn't for me. And I spent a year dating him. And then it it all came to a head when I was 23. And I got out of that relationship and I was like, holy shit, man. Like, I don't even know who I am. I have no idea who I am. And I'm working this career and I'm I'm doing well in it, but is it what I want to do? And I I had probably an identity crisis at that time. And, and that's where six months of me started was the accumulation of all of this stuff and me just sitting with myself and saying like, you got to take some time to figure out who you are and who you want to be. Because right now, I really don't like who you are. And from that point on, like there was me before six months of me and there was me after six months of me. And I am the same and in, in my soul, but everything else about me is different in, in the best way possible. Thanks for sharing that. Did you, yeah. did you see the middle school girls click that you were involved in in high school? Was it a feeder school into high school? I deliberately went to the high school that most of them were not going to. So I went to a private first through eighth grade and I wanted out. Like I, it, it came to a head at the end of eighth grade, but I think when we were like testing, I can't remember the timeline, but it was incredibly toxic. So I knew around seventh grade, I wanted to get out. And I remember begging my mom to let me transfer. And it's actually funny. I've never talked about this, but I, maybe I should. Back in seventh grade, I remember it was when like kids start to really like explore themselves sexually, you know, all the girls, we'd go to like a house party and someone would be like making out in the corner and you're like, oh my gosh, it's just so exciting. And I remember I was at a sleepover, it was like sixth or seventh grade. And this girl, you know, we were all dating someone in our grade and the boys would always be like, will you send us pictures? Right. That's when they start asking for nude pictures. I so badly wanted to be liked by these girls and these guys. And so I was like, yeah, I'll send one. And it was like, <laughs> we don't have to get too graphic. It was like one boob. Like I remember it was like a square. <laughs> I was, my, like, I was, I was really interested what, where this was getting. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so it went there. And so basically, you know, they were all encouraging me to do it. And it was this, this exciting thing. And then they all turned it on me right after that. And I remember I like, my mom, I'd come home crying and she was like, what's wrong? And I couldn't tell her. I couldn't be like, mom, I did this thing that I'm not proud of. And I was a kid, like looking back, it's so sick to think about this like sixth or seventh grader going through that and like 
literally just having to hold it in and be like, why are kids bullying you on the playgrounds? Like, because I don't know, mom, it just happens. And after that kind of bullying started, I decided to go to the public high school where only a handful of them were going to go. The rest of them went private. And I was like, I'm never going to private again. Went public and it was a big enough school that I could separate myself from them. And I've had really no contact since then. And, you know, I, I know a couple of them follow me on social media, so they know what I do, but I've, I've never spoken about what happened in junior high to this extent. I've never opened it up. It took me years to even tell my therapist about it because it's just, it was so embarrassing for me. And it, it really, it was the core of what tore me down. So yeah, I tried to escape it as much as I could in, in high school and hide that shame and that story with me. But the loss of identity, the, the lack of self-worth and, and all of that stayed with me. Mm. Yeah, and I have the honor of seeing Akira now, which I, I'm sure you would agree you're probably far from perfect, but you do have this general glow and this feeling of self-love about you. And it's interesting that you point to six months of me as being the demarcation line in your life. So what do you think that six months or the program in general, I guess you didn't even call it a program at that point in time, but what was it about your first six months of me that really turned things around for you? The, the biggest thing was just taking time away from dating and focusing on myself. So the the two big things that I did during the six months was I stopped dating and I stopped drinking. And I should add that in high school, not so much, but college and, and a couple of years after college, I was a binge drinker to like the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was bad. And nothing terrible ever happened. Thank God I never got, you know, I never drove drunk. I never got arrested, n- nothing like that. But I mean, just the years I think I have taken off my life from those years of drinking, it's it's terrifying. And I knew that if I continued going at that rate, I would never become who I wanted to be. And so those two things had to go. And that gave me the mental and emotional space to make changes and to look at myself in the eye and really evaluate like who I wanted to be. So taking those things out was was huge. And then stepping into who I knew I always wanted to be. Like, I think six months of me was the container for me to become this person, I think, become more of myself again. Like, I, I, I've i always been outspoken and extroverted, but I always had this feeling of shame around it or, you know, what are people going to think of me? And, and it always held me back. And I think six months of me being able to share my story, own my story, right? Like it was the first time I ever talked publicly about my eating disorder. During nutrition month, I was like, I can't really talk about food and nutrition and anything without explaining that I can't go on a diet because I've been in treatment for an eating disorder for seven years of my life. And it's that diets are too triggering for me. And and slowly unraveling all of what, was inside of me was the most powerful thing. And then there was the tactical stuff too, right? Of of dating month, I got to evaluate all of my past relationships and then what I want in a future partner, which tremendously helped my dating future. And I got to reevaluate my my relationship with alcohol during my drinking month, which didn't mean I was drinking and meant like I was, you know, reading all these books about the effects of alcohol on the body. And <laughs> I wasn't just like, ah, that'll be a fun month. People are always like, what do you mean you did a drinking month when you said you're not drinking? <laughs> it wasn't cheating. So yeah, it was the the larger picture. And then inside of that, all of the smaller tactical things. And I I do think that's what a lot of a lot of women in six months of me feel as well is that it's more than just the themes and the goals that they set aside, but it's deciding and taking time to, to just focus on themselves. And we get so caught up in the day-to-day that so many women have come and said, like, I've, I've just never taken the time to, to work on me. And it feels so good to, to set some intentional time aside for mm-hmm. myself. 
we'll get back to six months of me and you can lay out what it was and what it is now. But to roll on what you were just talking about, I think a really cool idea was something I saw you post about, which is the single girl's bucket list. Can you explain what that is, how that came about, and one or two things that was on that bucket list that are now crossed off? Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. So basically how it how it came about was it really went back to my six months of me days where I was like, I want to get more out of my comfort zone and I want to do more things just for me. And it, you know, there was a whole chunk of of I realized I was putting my life on hold because I wanted to be in a relationship. So I said, I'll, I really want a condo in the city, but I'll wait until I have a fiance. I really want a dog, but I'll wait until I'm dating someone. I really want to take that cooking class, but I'll probably just do it with a boyfriend. And I was like, I am literally putting all the exciting things in my life on hold until I find someone. And I don't know when I'm going to find that person. So I have to start living my life right now. And it's funny because I was actually talking to someone a little bit earlier in the summer. And so I got all excited. I'm like, oh, I'll have someone to do all these fun summer activities with. And things didn't end up working out. And I was like, I'm not going to let this stop me from doing all the things I want to do this summer. So I just wrote down like 10 or 12 things that I really wanted to do in Chicago before the summer ended. And I printed it out. I cut them up into little, you know, strips of paper and I put them in a mason jar. And I said, every weekend this summer, I'm going to pull from this jar. and if it's an activity that I can do that weekend, I have to do it. Hmm. But if it's something that requires scheduling, then I have to sit down in that moment and schedule it for ideally the next weekend or, or whenever. So it has been so freaking fun. I haven't gotten through as many as I would like. Life has been busier than I anticipated, but one of them was like getting a drink on the river walk. And we have this beautiful river walk in Chicago. And so I brought my dog. I got a non-alcoholic beer and it was really exciting to take myself out on what felt like a little date. Mm. It's amazing to see how many people will just, you know, strike up a conversation with you. Everyone's smiling. Like, it's so much less intimidating than we make it out to be. I know a lot of women, especially, are scared to do things alone. But it's really all in your head. People do not care that you're by yourself. They just care about themselves. I had a, a client who was trying to take herself out to lunch and was really worried. What are people going to think of me? And I was like, what have you thought of someone sitting alone, eating lunch or dinner? Have you, have you thought of anything? She's like, no. I mean, I don't really think. Like, maybe they're traveling. I'm like, right, right. People don't care. And if they do, they make up a normal assumption like, oh, she's probably traveling for work or, oh, she's waiting for a friend to come. No one is sitting there judging you until when you get kind of that assumption out of your head, you're able to live. Like it just feels like you're you're living more and it fills my life with so much more excitement rather than doing the same thing every single weekend. Such a fun idea. Are you actively yeah. dating right now? I'm taking a break right now, but I am slowly getting back on the dating apps and just seeing, I raked up quite a few likes while I was on a break. So I started just perusing those, seeing if there's anyone interesting, but not actively dating, but I'm I'm slowly getting back into it. I hit the pavement really hard right when the year started and I went on, I think over 25 first dates. It was crazy. It was a lot, but it was awesome. Like I, I'm really proud of myself for doing it. It was my new year's resolution. And so after I talked to someone for about a month and a half and things didn't work out, I was like, I just need to take a break for a little bit, but I'll be out there soon enough. And I thought your original goal was two first dates a month and you just decided to finish those in the first like four or five months of the year? I pretty much did. Yep. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'll do two first dates a month. And then, you know, one week I had four first dates in a week and, and that was a lot. I would not recommend that to anyone. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but yeah, I just got on a roll and... It was really great. Once you kind of rip the Band-Aid off of dating and you just dive into the deep end, I met so many amazing people and, you know, just no one that I that I felt like I wanted a, a long-term relationship with. And that's okay. Like a connection and love and all that's really hard to find. So I don't expect to find it as much as I would love to. I don't expect to find it this year, next year. I don't know when, but I enjoy putting myself out there and, and meeting new people. So yeah, I really hit the pavement. 
Yeah. And how do you stay motivated to continue to go on first dates? Because 25 in four months, and if you come up 0 for 25, that can be pretty discouraging, I would assume. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I think what's really funny is that it was discouraging, but it was also very encouraging because out of the 25 that I went on, there was only one that didn't want a second date with me. Mm. And I say that humbly, but it was a testament to how much work I'd put into myself because that was not the case before six months of me. I felt like used a lot when I was dating and I was, you know, sleeping with people for no reason and I didn't really have an intention of what I was looking for. And now when I go on these dates, I have such a crystal clear sense of self and self-worth and I know what I'm looking for. And that's a really attractive quality, right? Like people want that in their partner. And so it was encouraging in that way. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I definitely got down on myself, but I was so proud that I wasn't falling back into a relationship that wasn't right for me because Mm. that was, again, the impetus for six months of me was I had just been in two fairly long-term relationships when I knew in my gut with both of those people for different reasons that they were not the one for me, but I couldn't get out. I would always fall into the relationship. So I was really proud that there were these really nice, fine guys who wanted to date me, but I was able to say, I'm comfortable enough being alone to wait until it's the right person than just settling for a relationship that could be good, but I'm not just looking for good. I'm looking for great. I'm not looking for a person. I'm looking for the person. Hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about grades. Do you have first date parameters? Like, is there something that, do you have a checkbox or something? I feel like you might be a little skeptical on this. (laughs) I, so I really try, I try not to, but yes, if I'm being honest, I have, so I wrote down like the values that I want my future partner to have. I have a list of deal breakers of things that, nope, I will not look past them. I've tried before in my past relationships and it didn't work. So I know it's not going to work. And I try really hard to not make it, you know, mentally checking things off in my head. Because the truth is like, I don't know if I'm going to find someone who is going to check every single box. Sure. And I, you know, I don't want to set an unrealistic expectation for my future partner. But yes, I definitely do. Like I look at them through a lens of, are you what I'm looking for and what I can be comfortable with? But I would say for the first date, I almost always have it be something casual, like going out for drinks or going on a coffee date or a walk, you know, around the city. And I always, you know, back when I was dating in the winter, I wear the same outfit on every single date. Let's talk about this because you were telling me when we first connected that of the 25 dates you've been on this year, you have worn the same outfit to 15 of them. So why do you do that? Yeah. It makes it so much easier. Like back when I was dating, before I developed that, dating was so stressful for me. Like I felt like I could go on one date and then I had to take a three-month hiatus because it was just emotionally draining. And I'm like, okay, I'm never going to meet someone at this rate. So I knew I had to do as much as I could to make first dates as least stressful as possible. Like I wanted to go on a first date and just feel like I'm just meeting a friend out for a drink. And a big like really hard part of dating was figuring out what I was going to wear and how I was going to appear, especially as someone who has struggled with body confidence and self-love and all of that. Showing up at a date where you know you're going to be physically judged is a really big insecurity and concern. For as much work as I've done on my body, it, it still can come up. And so I was like, if I just find one outfit that I feel really comfortable in, that can work for pretty much any scenario, I can just wear the same thing. And A, it takes like two hours out of the prep work. Like I'm not running around figuring out what to wear. I just throw on the same thing. I know how I'm doing my hair, my makeup, all the things. Then I feel like I'm almost giving the men like an equal playing field. You know, I'm not walking in in a slinky red dress one time and ripped jeans on the next date. They're all seeing me the same exact way. It's the best idea ever. So when I started dating this summer, I made a summer uniform. Like it was, it's something I'm going to continue doing 
for a very long time. I think it's a genius idea, actually. I think I've yeah. often talked about reducing the friction whenever you're starting a habit. I've never brought it into the context yeah. of dating. You know, it's usually like, if you want to start running in the morning, set your running clothes out in your shoes, fill your water bottle, make yeah. sure your headphones are charged, they're laying right there. You've brought that same concept into dating. And it's interesting. I have a roommate and she is now six months, seven months single. And I've got to see from afar her experience dating as well. And getting ready for the date is such a friction point. Her in and out, does this match? What do I, <laughs> like, do I look okay? What's going on here? I just thought, like I said, whenever you told me that piece to it, genius. What other dating tips do you have? Oh my gosh. A big one was the first date should not be more than 90 minutes. And I always have an excuse to leave after 90 minutes. And I even set the expectations before the date of, hey, you know, I said we can get coffee at, at 11 a.m., but I have to take, I said this one time, I have to take my dog to the vet at 1245. Honestly, most people know it's a lie. Most guys that I've talked to afterwards have said like, we know girls make up an excuse, but nobody cares because at the end of the day, again, it makes the date less stressful because I'm like, even if I walk in and he is super awkward and it's like talking to a wall, it's 90 minutes max. I can even squeeze and say 60 and say, you know what? I got to go get ready. I can make it through 60 to 90 minutes of anything. Mm -hmm. But when I don't set that parameter and I've gotten locked in on dates for like three, four hours, and it's so hard to find a reason to leave, that's what makes dating really stressful. So again, it, reducing those friction points of saying, I have a hard stop at this time, it makes it that much easier. And then you can go and be free. And, and then if the date is going well, you could always say, you know what? My friend just canceled on me. So let's go have dinner. You can always adapt if the date's going really well, but it's just a great backstop if worst case scenario happens. And you brought up apps. Have you found most of your first dates through apps? What's your opinion on them? Yes, pretty much all of them are from <laughs> Hinge and Bumble. <laughs> they're, they're pretty much all Hinge and Bumble. And, and here's the thing, like I think, and statistically speaking, what is it? 25% of people who are getting married now met on the apps. The other big, big area where you meet people is work. And the reality is I work in advertising and it's a female-dominated field for the most part, or a lot of the men who I work with are not interested in women. And that's okay, but I'm really not going to meet a partner at work. So I know my odds are much higher uh, to find my partner on the apps or just out in the real world. But yeah, apps are pretty much... 99% of where I meet people. And I love it. I think it's so much easier than meeting people in the wild because you get to set parameters around who you're looking for versus if you were to walk into a bar, you have no idea about any of these people, where they're from, what their values are. If You can say if you drink and do drugs, where you went to school, if you have a college education, where you work, all these things. Whereas like, yeah, you can find a cute guy at a bar, but he might not check any of the other boxes that you have. So it's actually more efficient to, to do online dating. And, and I love it, but it, it can be daunting for people. I know a lot of people who struggle with the apps. It's definitely polarizing. I, from afar, I used Tinder when it first came out. Like it was like the first big dating yes. app. Everyone's on Tinder and then it got all weird. And then like everyone got off Tinder. I haven't really used the apps extensively after that. I've been dating somebody for the most part since then. But if I were to go back into dating, I think I'd go straight for the apps. A, for the biggest thing, I mean, especially with guys, is you at least check the box that you are interested and in, you're looking for right. somebody. Because the worst thing is going up, trying to say hi to a girl and then right away getting the, I have a boyfriend right back, which is fair. And no guy yes. wants to infringe on that either. We're just trying to strike up a conversation and find some single girls. But for dating apps, everybody on the dating app, well, at least I, I believe so, is probably single looking for somebody. So at least you get that parameter. And then as you mentioned, you can drill down in some really specific things that are 
either on your value list or on your non-negotiable list, which I think is important as well. And you get a few feeler text or, or messages back and forth before you actually have to set something up. Yeah, 100%. I love that you said that. It's so true. Like there, you walk into a bar, you don't know who's in a relationship and who's not. And I see that a lot in the city. Like I, I am trying to put myself out there more in real life and meet people at the dog park or at the grocery store. But people have their headphones in, right? Like they're not really paying attention. Not everyone is trying to like socialize out in the real world, especially in COVID too. Oh, yeah. Like people aren't <laughs> as as close as they used to be. So I think it's an incredible place. And again, like pretty much everyone I've met on the apps has been so, so wonderful. And when you get good at it, you can really start to kind of filter out, you know, who is here for the right reasons, right? Like, are they looking for a relationship? And do they check these boxes? And then really, once you get on the date, it's just a matter of, do we have a connection? And that's, you know, the hardest thing to find, but it feels like an adventure. And I think there are so many more benefits to the apps than cons. So I am I am all for them. So getting up to that point, even being comfortable with dating, I see some of my friends really struggling getting out of relationship and they're in this field of, I want to be completely single and figure myself out and really be selfish, but then also kind of flipping back to like, maybe I want to start putting myself out there and dating again. It's just this like back and forth flip-flop in your experience or however you did it. I mean, you're, you're in it right now, I guess. I'm more interested in some of your former relationships as well. Do you give yourself some time to be just you again, your personal time before you start dating? Is there certain questions that you're asking or emotions that you're trying to take a temperature on to figure out if you're ready for dating again? Like, how do you know if you're trying to date again because it's really the right time or you're trying to mask over a heartbreak or any of these other things? Yeah. Oh, that is such a good question. It's tough. It's really tough. But I would say that if you tend to be the person who jumps from relationship to relationship, you got to take a break. And I see that a lot as people who just don't want to be alone. They fall into that codependent state. And I genuinely firmly believe that you have to learn how to love yourself and how to be alone and be comfortable being alone before you can ask someone else to love you. And if you go into a relationship not knowing what you bring to the table and your personal worth and your value, then you run the risk of entering a relationship that's not healthy and that's not right for you. So I would say that's that's the number one thing is if you tend to be going from relationship to relationship, it's probably best that you take a break. And you have to get to a place where you feel like you are comfortable with who you are. And that's not to say that you need to take years off of dating because at the end of the day, like, I will say most of my, I mean, all of my most pivotal life moments and lessons and personal growth have come from periods immediately following a breakup because it was the stark difference of really depending on one person to being completely alone and figuring out what am I going to do next and how am I going to redefine myself? So I really see it as as a gift. Like if you are in that chapter where you have left a relationship, I would take time to just be with yourself. I would say if you are thinking about getting back out there, you don't necessarily have to wait until you feel like you are 110% perfect because reality check, you never will be. Like mm. you will always have some insecurities, right? Like I'm going into dating feeling 95% really, really good about who I am and what I have to offer. But there is still a 5% that I'm still working on, but I can't wait my entire life to get to that place before I can start dating again. And, and a lot of the growing that I know I have to do also has to happen in a relationship as well. Like I can only work on myself so much before if I want to work on how I maintain my independence in a relationship, I have to do that in a relationship, right? Mm. But I have to start with a really solid foundation. So I would say start there. Another big red flag that I see a lot 
both in myself that happens from time to time and in other people's, if you're swiping for validation, if you're just out there swiping, hoping to get likes so you get that hit of dopamine and you feel really good about yourself, you're probably not looking for a relationship. You're looking for validation. And so you need to take a step back and figure out why you're looking for validation. What is lacking in your overall self-esteem and self-worth that you need to rebuild before you go back into the dating world. So there's no true time frame. Honestly, it's some people can get back out there and start dating a month after a relationship. But I would say really be honest and check in with yourself. And just because it's uncomfortable being alone does not mean it's the wrong thing. Sometimes that's where the growth really needs to happen before you can jump back into another one. So you're not dating. You had what sounded like a semi-brief summer relationship. What did you learn from that relationship? Oh my gosh, I can't be with a big drinker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell, me, that? tell me more about that. Yeah, you know, I've had a very complex relationship with alcohol. I come from a family where, you know, a number of my family members, extended family members are alcoholics and and most of them are recovered. And I'm actually going to my grandpa's 50th Alcoholics Anonymous anniversary in November, mm, 50 cool. years sober. It's incredible. So I, I was raised in a household where I was taught about how alcohol can really affect you. And as I grew up and started to question my relationship with alcohol, I realized that it, it truly has no, it does not serve me in my 20s and probably later in life. It only detracts from who I want to be and what I want. And so I knew when I had established what I was looking for in a relationship, I didn't want to be with a big drinker, but define big drinker, right? It's open for interpretation. How much is too much, right? So I started seeing this guy and the first red flag that I should have seen was like on our first date when I wasn't drinking and I told him that I wasn't really drinking. I haven't put a label on myself yet, but sober curious is probably the right the right term. But I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm not drinking right now. And he point blank said that if he knew I wasn't drinking, he would have never gone on a date with me. What? Yeah. And I was like, hmm, okay, I'm going to like, you know, file that away in question marks, like to be revisited. But, you know, he said it was it was great that I didn't care that he was drinking. And that was his big concern was that I would care if he was drinking with me. And I said, I, I don't care if you drink with me. I do care how much you drink. But again, I'm not going to sit here and say four is enough, five is too many. It's really like, I don't want to be with someone who is the drunkest guy at the party. I don't want my boyfriend to be the one who's blacked out. I'm fine if you're drinking, but I want you to be more on the responsible side. And it came to a head. We were at like a 4th of July party and it was a very chill party of seven people, maybe eight people. And he was blacked out. And he was also 33 and 26 for reference. So like big age difference. That's why I tend to date older is I don't want anyone in the party scene because I'm I'm over that chapter of life. And that was really when it hit me. It, it had been like a month and a half. We weren't official or anything, but we were getting close to like making that switch of being exclusive and everything. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I don't want to be laying in bed hungover on a Sunday. I want my partner to be up and moving with me. And, you know, ultimately he was very receptive at first when I just brought it to his attention. I said, you know, I think you're too big of a drinker for me. It's not that you have a problem. I'm not saying what you're doing is wrong. And that's been a big differentiator for my dating life versus what I used to do in the past is it's not that like, oh, you're bad because you're not living the way that I want to live. It's just, here's what's important to me and it might not be what's important to you and that's okay. Mm. And at first he was very receptive and was like, I'll cut back. I really want to make this work. And then the next day he totally changed his mind and he was like, you know what? I am a partier. That's what I do. That's who I am. And I don't want to feel bad for partying. And we were both like, fair enough. It stunk that personality-wise, we had such an amazing connection, but our lifestyles didn't match up. And that's a huge part of a relationship that you have to be aligned on. And yeah, so that taught me like I was right in how I handled it. And I I still have so much love and respect for him, but it was very validating to go into something and see how strong I could be even when I was 
I did really get my hopes up. I got really, really excited about that potential relationship. But I stuck to my guns. I stuck to what I knew I needed. And now I'm, I feel more confident than ever to go back into dating. Mm. And you're not saying this from your high horse of never drinking in your entire life. You've lived through that experience. You were the the party girl, probably the girl giving out shots at in, in college and post-college. Yeah, always. Because <laughs> I was the shot girl, for sure. <laughs> Which is... A, I commend you for making that transformation, putting a hard line in. It seems like from listening and researching you, it's probably the best decision that you made. And it's really cool that you just flipped the switch for six months and really stayed true to it. One story in particular, like it's not like you had six weeks to ease into it. It seemed like it was right from the get-go because you had a wedding the first weekend of six months in May. Yes, yes. And it was a true challenge. I went in and I've never stuck to anything in my life. The fact that I committed to six months of no drinking was a massive, massive goal, but it was one I just didn't even question. Like I said it and I never questioned it. I was just so, so strong-willed and this is what I'm doing. And I posted it online so everyone knew this was what I'm doing. And yeah, I go into this wedding, right? And I hadn't told anyone actually at that point what I was doing because I didn't really know. I was like doing the six month thing. I want to explore myself. I don't really know what it is yet, but I'm not drinking. I know that. And I go into this wedding and, you know, everyone's drinking and everyone's expecting me to drink. That is part of my personality is I'm the one ripping shots, pushing shots on people. I am getting drunk. I was drinking, uh, a soda water with lime. And I remember people were asking me like, oh, Kara, what'd you get? And I was like, double vodka, you know? Like <laughs> I lied. I told them I was drinking because I didn't, I wasn't ready to deal with the questioning yet. Fair. And actually that same wedding, because I also committed to no dating, that same wedding, I met someone who asked me on a date. He asked for my number. He asked me on a date. And I was like, oh, I can't. I was like, I just started this thing and I'm not dating and you seem great. And I was like, if you're free in six months, let me know if you're still interested. But it was like a true test and and I made it through that. And yeah, it felt so strong after that. It was like the universe sent it to me as a test. Yeah, I think it's a good idea, especially early on whenever you're doing that to Because the thing with drinking is you got to have something in your hands. That's, that's typically, you're at these social gatherings... Yes. Yeah. And if you're empty-handed, I think that's when things get challenging. You don't really have that that barrier of something in your hand. So A, yeah. putting something in your hand and then B, making it look like it might be alcohol gets rid of all the questioning and then you know you're not going to have some pushback. But eventually you grew into the person that could take some of the pushback. So how did you go about artfully pushing back on friends, family that knew the old Kara, wanted the old Kara at these events, but you needed to stand your ground. I mean, it was tough. There were definitely, it wasn't tough in that I ever doubted that I could do it. For some reason, I don't know what came over me. Like it truly was the most incredible thing. I never tempted to break it, but I was worried about what other people were going to think of me and if it was going to affect my social life. And for the most part, people were very supportive. Most people in my life, you know, my mom would buy all of the non-alcoholic wines she could find. She was ordering like this fake rosé off Amazon. It was so, so sweet. So I felt like unbelievably supported in, in that way. But there were times where, you know, I went to parties and I just, I didn't know what to do because I was sober. And my interaction was always based around like, I'm going to get you a drink. We're going to get a drink. Like it was all around drinking. So I really had to redefine how I show up in those social party settings. Again, like you said, the easiest thing was to just fake it, right? I would take shots and like pour them behind my back or like <laughs> I would get fake ones. It was so funny. Like I think there were so many bartenders who thought I was pregnant because people who are pregnant but not ready to talk about it will do that, right? Because they can't tell anyone that they're expecting it. I, I'm sure so many people thought I was pregnant, but whatever, it was fine. So I had to redefine how I showed up at parties for sure. And then I also had to understand like there was pushback from not a lot of people, but a handful. And it was always the people 
who I knew deep down had a problem with drinking because Mm. what I was doing unintentionally, and I really made an effort to like not shove it in anyone's face. I was not trying to influence anyone else to not drink. In fact, if someone didn't drink when they were with me because I wasn't drinking, I'd feel bad. I would be like, please, if you would normally drink, get a drink. You are not bothering me. But the people who, you know, I remember I went to this Halloween party and this guy that my friend had just started dating was like, what do you mean you're not drinking? Like, you got to just have a beer. Come on. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't need it. Like, I really don't want it. I'm good. You know, and I had the solo cup filled with my, you know, mocktail of choice. And I was hanging with the people, but he was really pushing it on me. And in those moments, I just had to remember, like, it's because he's really uncomfortable with what I'm reflecting back to him, which is that he could never go without alcohol, or at least he doesn't know that he could yet. Hmm. And having that self-awareness at least helped in the interim in those moments where I felt like I felt kind of bad that I wasn't drinking, but I knew it was a reflection of them, not of me whatsoever. Mm. So as we're concluding this conversation, Kara, tell us a little bit about Six Months of Me. We've talked about it a ton this episode, but we didn't really give it any definition or shape. So feel free, share what it was and how it's transformed. Yes. So back in November of 2020, I was still, you know, it was about a a year and a half after I'd finished my personal six months of me journey. And I was working in advertising. And like I said earlier in the episode, I, I really was unhappy in my career and COVID was happening. And I saw a need for both myself and for other people to use this time to focus on themselves. And so I said, I need to take a leap of faith and I want to turn this into a group coaching program. So I quit my job. I spent about a month and a half building out this program. And basically what Six Months With Me is, is it's a group coaching program for women of all ages. And you don't have to be single. I got that question a lot. We're like, do I have to not drink and not date? No, you set your own parameters. And and that's really how I started the program was you get to design your own Six Months With Me based on the areas of your life that need improvement. So Everything that I give you really helps you formulate your six months of me plan. And then we have monthly meetings where we check in with one another and we restate our goals for the following month. And it's just this beautiful sisterhood. I've had about 70 women go through the program and it's been the most amazing, amazing thing I've I've ever done in my life, honestly. And so about halfway through running six months of me, I was like, you know what? I should probably go get my life coaching certification. Like I'm pretty much being a life coach, but I just didn't put a label on it. I wasn't truly confident enough when I started it that I could be a life coach. But I'm officially come this week, officially an ICF certified life coach. And so now I am really focusing on one-on-one coaching. So the women can pick three or six months coaching packages. And it is very similar to six months of me in that at the very beginning, we set up the goals and the themes that they have for every single month. So six months of me will come back. I'm not opening any cycles right now. I really want to reformulate the program itself and create more specific months. So we're all doing the same thing at the same time. So that is coming. But right now I'm I'm really focusing on my my one-on-one coaching practice, which has been, again, just so fun and so rewarding. And anyone can come to me for free, which is awesome. So basically the the first session you have is completely free. I call it a sample session. And that's where we just walk through, like, is coaching a good fit for you? And it's a real coaching session. So you get to test out the magic of life coaching and see if it's it's something that you want to do. And then you can sign up after that. So awesome. Yeah. And if people want to find out more, you're on Instagram. That's Kara Hayes, C-A-R-A-H-A-Y-S. So first name yeah. starts with a C, no E in the last name as well. I think your, is that also your website as well? KaraHayes.com? Yep, exactly right. Okay, awesome. So Kara, my final question for you. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week course to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? This is a brilliant question for a couple of reasons. I've thought about this so much. 
And I was thinking about creating an online course for this topic because I genuinely feel like we are not as well informed and as well equipped as we should be when we're in, you know, out of college and in our 20s. And it's dating and relationships. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, you know, how to find the love of your life. Really going deep into like, before you start dating, how do you develop a sense of self-worth and a strong identity and know what you're bringing to the table? And then really figuring out, okay, what, based on your last relationship, I think we said this when we were talking to each other, but I really believe that you either find love or you find a lesson. Mm. And you can give your past relationships a purpose by figuring out what lesson it is that they taught you and then applying that to your future relationships. So going through that practice of figuring out who you want and and why you want that. And then importantly, like knowing the signs of an unhealthy relationship. Like yeah. we don't get into those details as much as we should. And like I said, I dated a guy who was a grade A gaslighter. And I didn't know until my mom had to get in the middle of it and really helped me leave. And I remember someone sent me the definition of gaslighting and I was like, holy cow, like that is what I was living through. I just didn't know it had a name. So educating yourself on those signs so that if you do, God forbid, fall into a relationship that's not healthy, that you know the signs and you can get out. I mean, this might be a little graphic, but even like the sex part of it and like advocating for yourself in the bedroom, whether it's I'm not comfortable to go that far or here's what feels good and here's what doesn't. Especially as women, I was never taught how to advocate for myself in the bedroom. And mm. and it's something I still work on to this day. So having more confidence in in that. And then finally, what we've kind of covered on today, like how to bounce back after a relationship that doesn't work out. I think there would be a lot of modules, a lot of videos, and I would share a lot of my personal stories because like, what's the point of having these stories if you don't share them and help other people? So who knows? It might be a course on the horizon. If enough people tell me they would do it, I'll I'll make it. <laughs> I think that's a 101 and a 201. I think we need at least two semesters to fit all that in. <laughs> <laughs> we probably do. No, we definitely do. It's a lot of info. Um, so yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Kara. I am so glad that we found each other. You were incredible today and I'm super excited to see what's ahead for, for your future and Six Months of Me. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. This has been a ball and I, I appreciate talking to your audience and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.